Good morning, friends. Come on. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, there we go. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm right now doing the, uh, the dreaded home renovation. I'm remodeling our kitchen with my brother-in-law. And I want to tell you, I'd way rather be doing this. Talking about Jesus is easy. My off days have not been easy lately. I love doing this for you, though. But. If you're new around here, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I uh, want to tell you, if you're wondering about us, this is the church shopping thing that you do, that everyone does. It sucks, right? Everyone, no one likes it. I talked to some of you last week who are church shopping and new to the area and all that business. So let me just help you out, tell you who we are, what we're about. And it's super simple. Like, you can go to our website, check things out. It's kind, it's okay. Uh, our social media, it's good. Good job, yep. Um, but here's who we are. We are a people who are all about Jesus. That's it. We just love Jesus, and we want to root ourselves more and more in Jesus. And so what we've been doing with this time, this sermon time, since the summer of 21, we were over in McKinley Park because half of you were scared to gather indoors together because of COVID. So we were meeting in parks around the city and because we just wanted to. And it was beautiful. And we started talking through the, the Sermon on the Mount. And then we went on through the parables of Jesus. And now we've been in the Gospel of John for I don't know how long, since July of 22. We've been talking about Jesus for the last year and a half plus because it seems as though, and it seems as though is not true. I, I like to try to not be like too authoritarian, but here's the deal. We hear way too many voices in our world today. We're just inundated with voices and opinions. Social media. I mean, that's all I have to say. Social media. But then you, get, you, you turn on the TV and you have your cable news outlet of choice, and you turn on the radio, and you're either listening to NPR or talk news radio, or then you go back to social media, and you have your family's opinions, and your friends' opinions, and your people who used to be your friends, but you've silenced because you can't listen to it anymore. You know what I'm talking about? We have all these voices. Then we listen to podcasts when we're driving or cutting the grass. We fill all our minutes listening to voices. And we just think around here, it's time we center the voice of Jesus. It's time we recenter the voice of Jesus. And we love all of the Bible. But it seems necessary these days to just camp out in the Gospels. So because what we also find is that a lot of Christians don't really know the Gospels too well. And the reason that we don't know the Gospels is too well is because we love Jesus as our Savior, but when it comes to the, the Jesus who lived and breathed and walked on planet Earth and had lots of things to say, we don't love that Jesus so much. See, we love Jesus as our fire insurance. We love Jesus as our buddy. He's kind of, maybe some of us see Jesus as the kinder, gentler version of the cranky old God of the Old Testament, right? Even though it's not correct. But the thing is, the, what, what I've been finding, I don't know about you who've been around here for the last year and a half, 
The reason that a lot of people, a lot of Christians, in fact, don't have Jesus as the central person in their faith tradition is because Jesus is extremely challenging. Jesus said some things that were scandalous and subversive then in his day. It actually got him killed and I think would probably do the same thing today. We don't like, we like what Jesus does for us. We don't like what Jesus has to say to us. But at Bruce City Church, we're centering the voice of Jesus over and over again. And so I think it's actually this refreshing way to live. See, no one, none of us are going to be, you're not going to be on your deathbed, I promise you. I promise you, and if you do, this is really demented, but no one, none of us are going to be in our deathbed and say, oh, I just wish I had one more political debate, <laughs> right? None of us are going to say, oh, give me my phone. I need to post one more thing on social media. None of us are going to say, oh, I'm so glad I ended that relationship because of opinions. None of us are going to say that. And it's this voice of Jesus that calls us back home. See, it's, it's like, it's, it feels like you're, you're actually saying, rejecting an addiction after you follow Jesus, for, after you, when you take Jesus seriously. Like, it, it's real, no one has fun being bitter and partisan and, and, and separated. That's not fun. It's not fun being motivated and obsessed with politics. It's not fun. It's not fun having relationships torn apart over silly things. It's not fun being a judgmental person. It's not fun being a bitter person. It's not fun. But it is addictive, isn't it? It's like an addiction that we just keep going back to. And this voice of Jesus is calling us home. This voice of Jesus is calling us back to what it means and pointing us back to what it means to be a human being again. This voice of Jesus is calling us back, pointing us to what God is really like. And he, when, you, when you start to reject that addiction to judgmentalism and bitterness and partisan ways, it starts to feel like you're breathing again for the first time in a long time, doesn't it? See, Jesus is challenging but he's always going to challenge you to come and step further into life. He's always going to challenge us to step out of our old dead ways and into new ways. If you're listening and paying attention, Jesus, friends, is challenging, but in the best ways. So this morning, we're going to read the scriptures. We're in John 12, the first half of John 12. I'll just tell you where, where we are. And we're going to go through this, this story. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty because I like it when we're all on the same page and we understand the, the tidbits of, the, of what's going on here. But then we're going to end in some challenging business. So I, I just want to ask you a question. And I'm, you, you, you decide on yourself. This morning, are you willing to be challenged by Jesus? Are you willing this morning to be corrected by Jesus. You in for that? Is that why you're here? I see some head nods. 
All right, let's go. We're in, last, last, last week we were in John 11. For the last two weeks we've been in John 11. The first half of John 11 is Jesus raising back his, one of his good friends back to life named Lazarus. And it's this incredible story of Jesus demonstrating the seventh of seven signs in the, book of John, in the gospel of John, showing this completeness, this perfection, demonstrating that he's God for real. And he brings his friend back to life. His friend had been dead for four days. He speaks. The guy takes, walks out of the grave. It's unbelievable. And what we found in that story is this, is this resurrection life that Jesus talks about. In John 10, he talks about that Jesus says, I've come that they would have life and they would have it what? Abundantly, friends. And what we found two weeks ago is that this, this rich, abundant resurrection life that Jesus has to bring us isn't just or even first and foremost for the future. It starts right now. Resurrection, abundant, rich life. Jesus lived and died and rose again to give you starts right now. This life of the ages. Then we found, we stopped at the end of, of, of John 11 and found the, this crazy thing and tried to be taught by the story of this, this crazy ironic reality that God in the flesh comes to planet earth to reveal God's self in Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate, we believe. And when God shows up, the people who missed him, the people who hated him, the people who rejected him, the people who killed him, were the ones who studied the scriptures the most. The people who were the most religious, the most like us, they went to Sunday morning service more often than not. They were part of a home church. They, were in, they had done tons of Bible studies. They knew the Bible in and out. They'd, they'd read the Bible in a year several times. They prayed all the prayers. And when God showed up, they missed him. And it wasn't even that they missed him. They couldn't stand him. And they had him killed. And the reason that we focused on this is because that's us. We're not the disciples in the Gospel of John. We're not Jesus in the Gospel of John. We're the religious people. And so the question was from last week, if Jesus showed up today, we'd like to think that he'd be on our side, think the same things we think, have the same opinions we have, have the same politics we have. We're going to talk more about that. When it, the Gospels tell us it's more than likely that we'd miss them altogether. And so what do you do about that? You just center Jesus. You do what my mom's voicemail says. You keep your eyes on Jesus all the time. You obsess about Jesus. You make Jesus the center of your life the center of your religion, the center of your Christianity. And I know that sounds weird because it's called Christianity, but too few of us center Jesus in our Christianity. And so this week we come to this pivotal moment. It's, it's, it's the second half of the Gospel of John, and we step into the passion narrative. The whole second half of John's Gospel narrative is the passion narrative. It just speaks to us and says the cross and the resurrection is everything. It changed the world according to the, to the, to the Gospel of John. And we're going to see this really, this is a, 
a transitional moment for John in, this, in a kind of an ironic way. At the end of John 11, we see the religious leaders plotting to kill Jesus, and at the beginning of John 12, we're going to find a, a, just a simple woman in her act of worship and political scandalous, scandalousness. So we see religious powers that be plotting to kill Jesus and a simple woman in her act of worship. John's contrasting here. So I'm going to open up to John 12, and we're going to dive in. Six days before the Passover, we know that it's Passover. We've been in John 11. Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. There, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Martha has a rich tradition in the early church history of just hospitality, serving. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold in the, mo- in the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this. Sometimes I just, it just strikes me that God said... <laughs> Leave her alone. You know what I'm talking about? Like, God's very simple and practical. Just shut your yapper. Sorry. I need to be told that sometimes. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Ooh. We'll get into it. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews were... Sorry. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found him found out that Jesus was there and came, and not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. We talked about that earlier. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, so they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. Loaded words. Jesus found a a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Okay. So let's just talk about where, just, just settle ourselves and contextualize ourselves within this text here. This, this, we, the story begins this morning with a, a, celebra- a celebration of life, basically. This dinner that Jesus came to Bethany, he was likely staying in Bethany as he was about to go to, go to Jerusalem. It was just down the Jerus- Bethany. You could see Bethany from Jerusalem. There's a valley in between, a couple miles away, and so Jesus stays with his friends, and they have a, this dinner, and it's probably a dinner that's celebrating the life of Lazarus. Now, this is 
something for us to be jealous of Lazarus because when you hear about a celebration of life for a person, when they're dead, thank you, Joseph. When, when, when somebody dies, we don't call it a funeral anymore. We call it a celebration of life. Lazarus, the lucky devil, he was raised back to life, and they were like, let's still have the celebration of life. That's probably what this dinner was. Let's celebrate the fact that this guy was dead, and now he's alive again. So they're having a dinner, hanging out, having a good time. Martha's serving, because she's famous for serving, famous for being hospitable. And Mary comes, and she brings this, what's called nard, to anoint Jesus' feet with. Now, nard is interesting. Nard sounds like one of those biblical words, right? But it's a real thing that you can purchase today. Nard is, is short for spike nard, which is a fragrant oil from the root of the nard plant, which grows in the Himalayan mountains of India. I researched it, because that's what I'm supposed to do. And you can find on doTERRA, I took a screenshot. Can you, do you have the next, next one, Conrad? There we go. This is doTERRA's website, spike nard oil. This is exactly what, Jesus, or what Mary used to anoint Jesus' feet with oil. And this stuff is expensive even today. Five milliliter little bottle, 70 friggin' dollars. 70 bucks. Is that how much you spend on essential oils? Good grief, we got those bottles all over our house. Spike nard oil, it's, it was... If you were in the Mediterranean world at this point you, and you were a wealthy person, you probably had nard or spike nard oil in your home. It was re- it's really fragrant. I've never smelled it, and I don't want to. And it was basically an indication of wealth if you had nard on hand. What probably commentators or scholars believe is that, is that this, this was, this, well, basically, Judas says, says it for us, it was worth a year's wages. Now, for those of you who have jobs... Think about, if you don't have a job, talk to us if you need help. I'm not joking. I'm really not joking. But if you have a job, think about what a year's wages is for you. Just think for a second. It's tax season, so you probably know. Now think of taking all of that and using using all of it on a one-time act of worship for Jesus. It's gone. Now this, friends, is worship and devotion. We see in John 11, the end of John 11, the religious leaders, a lot like us, a lot like me, who see Jesus and hate his guts, are threatened by him and want to kill him. And then in the very next story, we see this woman. And when I say woman, I'm, I mean a marginalized person who never makes it into stories in the ancient Near East. Should have never been in there. But this marginalized, outcast person who nobody cares about except for if you're going to serve me food takes what most scholars think is probably her whole inheritance and, and just spills it all over Jesus' feet in worship and devotion. Then it says that she uses her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. Now in this culture, a woman's hair was considered her glory The Apostle Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 11. A woman's hair was considered her glory. It was so important, and she uses her hair to wipe the oil off of Jesus' feet. Friends, this is one of the most outlandish stories of worship and devotion we're going to find in the Scriptures. 
a woman who when God shows up, friend, when God in the flesh shows up, she gets it. See, when God in the flesh shows up, when Jesus shows up, he's worth a year's wages. He's worth an inheritance. He's, money doesn't factor in when you've met Jesus. So what we find Mary doing here is this scandalous, outrageous act of worship. Also, we find John foreshadowing. He's been doing this. John has introduced in these last two chapters, he's introduced foreshadowing and irony all over the place. And he's foreshadowing when he talks about Judas, Judas Iscariot. We know Judas. He's famous for one thing, betraying Jesus, right? Now, that strikes me as interesting, too, that God in the flesh shows up and he goes through all the stuff that I've just detailed. It makes no sense. But also, just something is seemingly insignificant, but many of us are sitting in right now as we speak. God in the flesh shows up, and one of his closest friends betrays him. And by betray, I mean turn your back on your friend. All those years that they spent together meant nothing to him. He's willing to just throw that all the way for money, for notoriety, for power, for whatever. And have your friends stab you in the back. Some of us know exactly how that feels. It's like we're going to see tonight if you watch the Super Bowl. I try not to talk about the Super Bowl and the Packers aren't in it. But the commercials are the important thing everybody knows, and we're gonna see, you're going to see this $100 million campaign called He Gets Us. It's a little bit controversial. You're going to see a couple of commercials from them this, tonight. And what, I don't, I'm not saying anything about the commercials, but Jesus truly does get us, right? I know some of you are sitting here today, and there's a family member or friends who just twisted that knife. And Jesus knows exactly how that feels. That's who you go to in prayer. That's what the writer of Hebrews said, that he experienced everything that you and I experienced as human beings. That's a fun God to worship and follow, isn't it? This empathetic God. Then Jesus says this thing that most of us, hopefully, you don't like. Right? There, there's this uncomfortable thing in the middle of the text, what is it? What's the statement that Jesus says that's just like, oh, really, Jesus? Was anybody listening? Okay. Say it. Thank you, Jake. Man, feel, make me feel good. The poor you will always have with you. Now, that is something that's always gotten up my, got my undies in a bunch. What, Jesus? Like, Really? See, but here, let's think, it, let's think through it together. First thing you have to do when you see this interesting, seemingly out-of-character statement, whenever you see it in the Bible, is you contextualize it. Take it within its context. And so that, that means that you just remember, Jesus, on many occasions, instructed people to give to the poor. Whether it's the rich young ruler or in his parables, all over the place, Jesus, Jesus obviously cares about the poor. As a matter of fact, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew... Jesus goes so far, and this is crazy. No one, none of us take him seriously. 
But Jesus literally says that poor person that you're going to walk by in the street as you walk back to your car or walk to lunch or brunch after service today, that poor person who's asking you for money, who's homeless, is me. And what you do for that person, you do for me. I don't have to say anything else. We, Jesus is very clear about how he feels about the poor. Mother Teresa would say, I, I'm here in Calcutta among the, the, the most impoverished people because they are Jesus to me. Now that's challenging. But that's not it even. Because most of us don't realize that Jesus was actually quoting the Old Testament when he said, the poor you will always have with you. Jesus was quoting from, I'm not even going to ask because I'm just assuming nobody knows. Does anybody know where that's from? I would have been, you, you would have had my job. I would have given you my job. I'm kidding. Deuteronomy 15 is a chapter about jubilee. This year of jubilee, it's this it's this beautiful concept that God tried to give his people, which is you're going to be living, and some of you are going to fall into really hard times. You're going to lose, a woman might lose her, her spouse, which means you have nothing, no provision, no protection. Something tragic might happen, and you're going to wind up poor, and I want you to care for the poor among you. So every seven years, I want you to have this year of jubilee where you cancel all the debts. Let's read, actually, from Deuteronomy 15. I think it's up there, Conrad. I'm not going to find it in my Bible. At the end of, this is Deuteronomy 15, verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. This, would, this wasn't popular in this time. There's no record that Israel actually followed this year of Jubilee, just so you know. And I think all of us Americans say amen. Some of us. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made it to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. It's so beautiful. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need, this is so cool. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land your, the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If you only fully obey the Lord your God and be careful to follow all these commands I will give you, I'm giving you today. There's no need for any poverty among you, God's telling Israel. If you just follow my rules, which means give yourselves to the poor, cancel the debts, restore them, have, let them have an equal standing with you. There's going to be no poor among you. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised and he will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in, the, in, in any of the towns of land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted and tight-fisted towards them. By the way, that whole bit about, like, do this for the Israelites, not for the foreigners, Israel was to be a type, right? Israel was to be this archetype for the rest of the nations to follow. Don't think that God doesn't care about the rest of the nations, because you just have to read the prophets to find that out. Let's keep going. Rather be open-handed and freely lend when, to them whenever they need. Be careful not to heart... Yep, be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year is the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They, they may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. This is serious business. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you, you put your hand to. Here it is. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed to your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. 
There it is. Jesus wasn't saying this calloused, hard-hearted thing about people in poverty. He's quoting the Old Testament and God's command of jubilee, of canceling debts, of providing for the poor. These religious people would have known exactly what Jesus was saying because they know the old, knew the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, way better than we do. So, hopefully that helps us as we see Jesus say, the poor you will always have with you. Now, Mary is anointing Jesus' feet. Now, when we hear about someone anointing someone, this, we don't do this anymore. We have inaugurations, right? We have big ceremonies and galas and balls every four years when, when, you, when you appoint a new president. But when, when you had a... When you were anointing a person in these ancient times, what were you doing for them? Anyone? Anointing them as king. See, we find here, Mary, what started as an act of worship and devotion, has now turned into a subversive act of politics and, and, and power. Because, see, when a person was anointed, first of all, a woman never would anoint a king, ever. Another little, little tidbit of Jesus saying, my kingdom is different. I know you think this is all patriarchal. I know that you think this is all men ruling. But now women are being brought to the forefront and have equal standing in my kingdom. Once again, Jesus is doing this over and over again. But I'll never stop pointing it out. But not only that, Mary starts out, what starts out for Mary as an act of worship turns into this politically subversive act, anointing Jesus as king. See, because when, Jesus, when Mary anoints Jesus, she's saying that Jesus is my king, not Herod. Even though Herod really was king and could have had her killed. When she anoints Jesus, she's saying, Herod is not my king. Jesus is. And then Herod was even sub, subservient to the, to the Roman, Roman Empire. She was saying, as she anoints Jesus' feet with this spike nard oil that cost a year's wages, probably her whole inheritance, this act of worship, she's also saying, Caesar is not my king. You can take my life, but Jesus gave me my life. Jesus is my king. And then John proceeds, this turns from worship into this political story where Jesus then enters Jerusalem as king. But he does it in this really different way. A story that we're all familiar with. He rides in on a donkey. And John tells us, hey, after Jesus ascended into heaven, we got it actually. Let's go to Conrad. Go to, is Zechariah 9 up there? This is what they're quoting here in John 12. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. One more, right? I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. Remember Ephraim? Anyways. And the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and to, from the river to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus is proclaiming as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Mary anoints him as king, and he rides into Jerusalem as king, but not just any king. See, because when we think of kings, we have this idea. But Jesus rides in on a donkey, which isn't just the most humble act. It's, it's making a political statement. It's saying, I am a different kind of king. 
I am a king who brings peace. A donkey was a symbol for peace. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem as king who comes to bring peace. And the only blood that will be shed because of King Jesus is his own. To sacrifice himself for his people. Now that is a king that John is inviting us to follow. So we find here this text, friends, is a text of worship and politics. And those two things don't often go together, but I think Mary and John are showing us they actually have a lot to do with one another, worship and politics. Again, Mary starts out in worship, spending her entire inheritance most likely on just this one act of worship, humbling herself, wiping Jesus' feet with her hair that is her glory, and then she anoints him at the same time as king, and Jesus enters Jerusalem as king. But here's, here's, the, here's the deal, friends. This is an entirely relevant story because of the world that we live in. Because if I had to pick one word to describe our culture right now, it would be political. I don't know, do you, anybody agree with me? I mean, that's, we in the last couple of years have made everything about politics. In 2020, summer of 2020, so just rewind back in your minds with me and your imaginations. This is March, it was March, right? Yeah, March, middle of March, 2020, everything, the whole world goes sideways. We shut everything down. We're worshiping online, doing all the things. I met with a person. Around that time, so many people left so many churches. I mean, just crazy. We lost, I mean, we're, we're half of what we were pre-COVID, really. It's crazy. But we're not the only ones. I talk, I have lots of pastor friends. I talked to a pastor friend. I was, we were hanging out on his deck a couple months ago. And he was like, I can tell you the most painful day of my pastoral life was last summer when I just faced the music and all the people that I'd reached out to, I'd emailed, I called, I tried to pursue and got nothing in response from them. I started deleting them from our database. And he was like, I, I deleted over 200 people from our database that day. Just ghosted. We church leaders were ghosted by more people than I... Is, should be human, allowed for human beings. So in July of 2020, I got together with this friend who had, with this guy who had been part of Bruce City for a while. He was active, volunteered a lot. He said, hey, I want to get together with you. I knew what that meant. Mostly us pastors know what it means when you say we want to get together, we need to get together. To his credit, he didn't ghost me though. He actually sat down face to face. So we sit down, we go to Colectivo and I can picture it. We sit down around the patio and he, he starts out the conversation by saying this. Well, I've gotten a lot more political since COVID happened. And I went, internally, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> oh, all right. And then he went on to tell me all the 15 reasons why he doesn't agree with Bruce City anymore and why we're, you know, this, that, and the other. That's a little snapshot. This guy was honest. Pray, credit him for being honest, right? Because I have heard in the last two, three years, so many times, man, you've gotten so political, Randy. And I'm like, about what? See, because the problem, I think, and maybe, maybe, maybe I've changed a little bit, maybe. 
I, I know I've changed a little bit. Maybe, maybe I've been, gotten a little bit more political. But in general, I think what's happening, and other pastors agree with me, everything in our world has been turned into political things. Masks now have, got, have turned into political things. Vaccines are political things. Racial justice is a political thing. Marginalized people groups are being used as political pawns to, to drum up emotions and get votes. It's to, to, friends, in this politically divided world that we live in, I've, here's the observation that I think is relevant for today in John 12, the story of Mary anointing Jesus in this act of worship that turns into a politically subversive act, anointing Jesus as king. Here's the reality. Most of us Christians, most of us Christians in America today do not, have Jesus, do not see Jesus as king. I'm going to say that again just in case you heard the car honking or we're distracted. For most of us Christians, and when I say us, I'm not talking about only out there. For most of us, so-called Christians, Jesus, friends, is not king. See, Jesus might be our savior. Jesus might be our friend. Jesus might be all sorts of things, but I'm telling you, Jesus is not our king. Or at least we sure don't live like Jesus is our king. See, because what I think is our king, what we're telling one another through social media, through the things we talk about, through the things we obsess about, through the friends that we do or don't hang out with anymore, the family that we do or don't hang out anymore, what we're saying is, is that our political party and our ideology is king. Our chosen politician is king, not Jesus. And friends, as I say that, I hope you know I'm not talking about the person across. This is what we tend to do. We're like, oh, I see you over there. I see you. I'm pointing at a friend that I can point to because he knows that I'm not really talking about him. Steve needs to hear that. Like, man, does he need to hear Preach, Randy! So Steve can hear you. I'm talking to you. And here's the deal. This, this is hard for me to say. Because I'm not telling you that politics don't matter. And I do realize that I'm saying this as a, as a white male. Like, I have a lot of privilege. I, I understand that. And, but my job, and I try really hard to use my privilege for the sake of marginalized people. I try as best I can, but please hear me now. We've turned our politics into our king and taken Jesus off the throne. We really have done that. Our, we, we, we let our political talking heads tell us what Jesus should be like in our world, right? Like we, we literally, people are going to different churches because their political talking heads tell them the Jesus that your, your church has, is, 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 is propping up isn't political enough. It's not to the left enough. It's not to the right enough. And I might say, I'm probably going to take flack for this message from both sides. And I'm not one of those both sides guys. See, Jesus was not some milquetoast moderate. Jesus did subversively political acts, like what he was doing by centering this woman, these marginalized people. But you see, Jesus lived in a politically charged time frame. Whether you believe it or not, more than our time now. And it was very much, way more clear in Jesus' time 
whose side God was on. See, this is what we do all the time too. We think we feel self-righteous and we feel good about our political stances and we feel good about our yard signs and our bumper stickers and unfriending people and posting all the things that we post. We feel good about it because, of course, God's on my side, right? Of course. This is really important stuff to God. Well, see, it turns out if you actually read the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus came... The incarnation happened at a very politically tense time where the, the people of God were being oppressed by the most powerful empire up until that point the world had ever known. They were corrupting their religion and turning into this politically motivated, power-hungry machine that really didn't resemble religion at all. You would think that Jesus, God himself, would have something to say about that, right? But no matter how much you look in the Gospels, friends, and I go home tonight and find it, Show it to me. Jesus says virtually nothing about Caesar. Jesus, God comes to earth, and all his followers think it's finally time to anoint you king. And what does Jesus do when the people try to, try to make him king? He hides, because that's not the kind of king he is. See, for Jesus to be king, Jesus, again, he was not a centrist, he was not a moderate, he was very radical, but he, he lived this radical life, he didn't just talk about it. He lived in subversive ways in relation to people, he didn't just po post social media things or talk about it or put yard signs up, he actually lived out the way of the kingdom in personal relationships. Friends, we, not them, we have made politics our king and we've taken Jesus off the throne and it's time we, we, we repent of it and friends, the sooner the better. Because what we've also done in these last several years, and it's not just the last several years, it's the last several decades, but it's become so concentrated and pronounced in these last couple of years. What we're doing as we speak is we're watering down and we're wiping away our unique gospel witness. That's what we're doing, because all we're offering the world is another political opinion. It's time we repent, and it's time we make Jesus not just our Savior, not just our friend when we're in need, but our King. And see, Mary shows us how to do it. We've got a template from Mary. See, because I think you are and you follow what you worship. What we're saying, what we're showing the world and one another is that we worship our politics. When you turn everything into something, that something is what you care about the most and what you worship the most. We worship our political party, our political ideology, our political leaders more than we worship Jesus. Let's be honest. I'm, I'm talking to myself here, and it's time I and we all repent of it, friends. Follow Mary in, in this outrageous act of worship and devotion that turns into this scandalous act of politics, of saying, Jesus is my king and no other, friends. Can we be this kind of a church? Can you be this kind of individual? 
this is challenging business. Remember, are you, I, I remember who sh- nodded their head yes when I asked, are you ready to be challenged by Jesus this morning? This is what it feels like. It feels like reevaluating the way I interact with the world. It feels like reassessing the way I prioritize things in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit. It looks like asking, do people, if, if I just assess my life and the way I interact with people, would they say I care more about Jesus or I care more about politics? Which is it? And then repentance is just this beautiful thing that says, we just change directions. I was walking in the, towards death. I was walking towards something that is meaningless. And, 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 and again, I'm not telling you to don't care, to not to care about politics, but I am telling you, check yourself. Let's check ourselves and recenter Jesus as king. Because, friends, I'm convinced that if Jesus came here, showed up, incarnation happened 2023 today, Jesus would not say anything about your favorite politician or political party. He wouldn't do it. You'd be expecting him to. You'd be waiting for it. I would. Slam that guy. He is a terrible person. And I bet you any money, I bet you everything I own, Jesus would not say a word about that person. See, because Jesus would be too busy loving the people that I don't love. Jesus would be too busy bringing his kingdom about that is not brought about through politics. Let's stand and pray. Jesus, I wasn't being facetious or sarcastic when I said that we have taken you off the throne and that for most of us, maybe, maybe all of us, you are, have not been king for us. And so that just means we've got some repenting to do. So I'll just lead the way I'll start. Would you forgive me, Jesus? I have been deceived. And I take the bait over and over and over again. And I judge your beloved sons and daughters before I even speak a word to them. And I've let bitterness grow between me and people I love because of, because of politics. And I consume and ingest way more stuff that goes through the news cycle about the people that I love to hate way more than I do your scriptures and your word and your and worship and devotion. I need you, Jesus. I need you to remind me over and over again because it's so, it's so dang hard. 
It's so easy to give into that addiction. It's so easy to see the world through those lenses. It's so easy to, to make everything political, but I want to make everything of your kingdom. I want to be a man that when, when people think of Randy Nye, they think of Jesus. So come and help me, Holy Spirit. Help me orient my life around the Lamb of God who was slain and who lives again. Help me remember that the president or the governor or the Supreme Court will not sit on the throne for all eternity, but Jesus Christ will. Heal us, Jesus. Heal your church. Lead us into repentance with your kindness or whatever you, however you want to lead us into repentance. But heal the church in America. Awaken the church in America. And start with us. Start with Bruce City Church.